because pre-diagnosis, I had no other explanation as to why I was late all the time. I started internalizing that. I started thinking like, maybe I just don't care about anybody. Like, and I've heard, you know, like people would say that to me, you don't care about anybody but you. And I would feel like deep down, that's not true because I hated being late and I was embarrassed by being late and I was ashamed when I was late. But I mean, if I really cared, wouldn't I be there on time? It's not that hard. Mm. (laughs) So I heard. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45, and it completely turned my world upside down. I've been looking back at so much of my life, school, jobs, my relationships, all of it with this new lens, and it has been nothing short of overwhelming. I quickly discovered I was not the only woman to have this experience, and now I interview other women who, like me, discovered in adulthood they have ADHD and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how to best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. Welcome to week three of my special top 10 replay series, where I'm re-releasing 10 interviews that really have stood out to me and have stayed with me in some particular way since this podcast began. Usually it's because of the topic or the conversation we had or some of the feedback I received from listeners at the time. And even though every single one of the 150 interviews I've aired so far hold a special place in my heart, I've chosen these 10 episodes that I feel deserve a replay in the hopes that if you missed this one the first time around, you'll get a chance to hear it with my endorsement. And if you did listen to it when it originally aired, hopefully you will enjoy listening to it again along with the recap. So this week, I'm re-releasing my interview with Tasha Post. It originally aired as episode 18 in March of 2021. I reached out to Tasha because she was on Instagram as ADHD Yoga. I immediately fell in love with her content, and I wanted to talk to her about the benefits of yoga and mindfulness when you have ADHD. And we do talk a lot about that. But what really stayed with me after this conversation was Tasha's personality, her vulnerability, especially as we talked about school, and work and the difficulties we had balancing multiple tasks and how that has affected our lives in different ways. Tasha is so delightful. I am one of her biggest fans and I'm sure you will be too after you hear this episode. And make sure to stick around because at the end of the episode, I check back in with Tasha to get an update on her life since the original interview. Not only is she a mom now, she and her husband also bought a house and she is a newly certified ADHD coach. So we talk all about her decision to go into ADHD coaching and her plans for the future. I am so excited for Tasha's new path and I'm so excited for her future clients because she is a real gem. Okay, without further ado, here is episode 18 with Tasha Post. Tasha is a certified yoga teacher and registered speech therapist. She teaches yoga to empower fellow ADHDers through breath, movement, and the occasional F-bomb. Tasha was diagnosed around three years ago at the age of 31. After listening to an episode about ADHD symptoms in women on The Current on CBC Radio. Since then, she has spent a lot of time figuring out what that means to her. Now, because we both love yoga and we're both instructors, we do spend a lot of time talking about yoga and geeking out over the ancient philosophies behind the practice and why they are so beneficial to ADHD brains. I think you'll really find the conversation interesting. I know I did. Uh, Beyond yoga, we also 
dissect the differences between your public persona and your private persona when you have ADHD and just the sheer exhaustion of keeping up appearances of normalcy and competence when deep down you feel like a hot mess and a terrible person. I really love Tasha's perspective on all of this. She has a great story. You're going to love this episode. So without further ado, enjoy. So I have, um, gosh, where do I want to start? Because I feel like I have so many different questions for you, but I will start with how I usually start with guests, which is asking you about your own personal diagnosis. You were diagnosed three years ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. Something around that. I'm 35 now. Yeah. So a little like three and a half years ago. Yep. Okay. And kind of what led up to you thinking you had ADHD and what led up to the diagnosis itself? So for like pretty much my entire childhood, I felt a little off. Like I felt like things were like different for me than for other people, but I could never pinpoint it. But I just had like my whole childhood thinking like, everything's harder. Cause like I did not do well in school for such a long time. And I didn't start doing well in school until pretty much I gave up any other facet of a whole complete life. <laughs> like friend, you know, all I did was study. That is all I did. And that's the only time I started doing well in school. And I couldn't really like, like watching my peers, like be able to balance, like having friends, having a social life and doing well in school just baffled me. I, did not get it. Like it was like this huge mystery and I had no idea what could possibly be wrong, but I just had like this, this vague feeling of differentness. And then, um, I started, you know, I went through university and grad school and started working. And I guess the only way I could make sense of like my life, cause I, I always felt dumb, but I had good grades the only way I can make fun of, make sense of it and reconcile with it was that I was just a dumb person who worked really hard. Like I thought I overcame my stupidity by, by working hard. Like that's the only way I could make sense of like the patterns I had seen. So I went to work. Uh, it was tough, really hard to keep up really the boring admin stuff, like scheduling my appointments with my clients, getting to those appointments on time, keeping up with my notes, all the boring stuff was really, really hard. Uh, and again, nobody else seemed to have that much difficulty with it. And I thought initially it was just that I was uh, a new clinician, but then the clinical stuff got easy, like seeing the clients preparing for appointments and, you know, getting good conclusions, blah, 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 and good recommendations, but all the admin stuff stayed hard. And I had an assistant who worked with me. Her name was Sarah, and she's a very, very good friend of mine. And she had worked with other speech therapists before me and had made comments to me about weird things that I did that she'd never seen anybody else do. And so it kind of put back on my radar that, yeah, okay. Like I'm, I'm not really quite normal. Like there's still, it got back to like that. I'm something's different about me, but I don't know what feeling. And then, you know, CBC radio, of course, cause you're Canadian. And we had, uh, there was a show, the current playing this one day on my way to work. Uh, they were interviewing there. It was just an episode on, um, women and ADHD and about why women with ADHD get diagnosed later and usually what circumstances they're usually diagnosed in, which is usually that their son is going through the process of getting diagnosed and they're like, oh, this sounds like me. And so I was listening to this episode and I was like, oh my God, this woman sounds exactly like me. Like she was a journalist. She had a good career. She'd always done well in work, but always felt like she kind of had to hide like her struggles uh, and she just kind of described like what goes on in her head and all this kind of stuff. And then 
I, I was like, this sounds like me. This is crazy. This I had never, ever considered ADHD at, before that point. I just had like this differentness feeling. So ADHD was the first time that I came across in my mind, but I thought that maybe I was just making it up in my head for like an excuse. Like I just wanted a reason, like a, a way to explain why stuff was hard or why I'm lazy or why I'm stupid. Like I just wanted something outside of me to make sense of it. But then I was going to an appointment with my colleague, Sarah, the, my, my assistant. And she's like, hey, did you listen to The Current yesterday? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, that sounded a lot like you. And I was like, oh, fuck. That's <laughs> totally right. And that was so, that was like such a liberating feeling. Cause like, it was, I like, I was like, it felt really nice to have somebody who has like no, no agenda, no other reason to look for an explanation other than she observed objectively observed my behavior and noticed the similarities between somebody else with a diagnosed problem. You know, like I wasn't making this up. It wasn't a scapegoat. I wasn't looking for excuses. This is somebody else who has no, no reason, no agenda behind just telling me what she thought. And that was really, really nice to hear. I think the nice thing about that too, is the fact that we so often get met with like, well, everybody does that or, you know, that's so relatable. So here's somebody who was close to you who didn't say, wow, I related to that. She was like, wow, I thought of you. Yeah. Yeah. She wasn't just like, oh yeah, isn't it? Like, I feel like that sometimes. Like she was like, that was you. That was you. (laughs) I was like, yeah. But even so, even after that, I think it took me like another three or four years before I actually got diagnosed. Cause I think, I think I was again, so I I did start looking into it a little bit more. Like eventually I like read a book and I listened to some podcasts and I was like, yeah, this really does sound like me. But then I'd go through phases where I was like, I'd have like a good couple weeks. Then I would like think like, oh, those past couple of weeks were just because I was having a hard time or because I was going through this point of transition or because I got a new caseload and it was just more on my plate or whatever. Like I could rationalize away things being hard before when I was doing well. And then when I was doing bad, I had no energy to do anything about it. And I, I didn't know where to even begin finding professionals to get me a diagnosis. I like all, everything about it sounded so tough. Like I, like having, you know, like just like so many steps, <laughs> so many steps, finding the clinicians, getting the money to pay the clinicians, filling out the paperwork, being on the wait list, following through with whatever appointments they force me to go to. Cause you don't really have a choice when you see a specialist, you just need to work around whenever they say they're going to see you. And all of that was just, it just seemed like too much. But I was getting to a point with my work where I was just not functioning anymore. Like I just, like even my, like I couldn't hide it anymore. Like before I could always kind of like keep it under wraps. I had this like facade of confidence, this facade of capability. And underneath I was just like weeping. I was just a mess. Like I was just like, had this constant state of like low grade nausea, this constant fear of being found out. Like I would get like, Like my boss was the kindest person ever. But if he like asked to see me in his office, I'm like, I'm done. I've been found out. Better pack up my desk. This is the end. And it was just like this constant state of fear. And it got to the point where my colleagues were asking me if I was okay. 
They're like, I, I've mm. been noticing you've been really bad lately. Like I'd be crying at my desk because I'd be overwhelmed from the number of notes I needed to write, but couldn't find in my schedule a time where I could sit down and write them. Or I'd have like clear my schedule, not book any appointments and be like, today's the day I catch up on notes and then get distracted by like my filing cabinet for the entire day. Like that's the important thing to do. Like what the hell am I doing? And I just beat myself up at the end of the day because the thing I had planned to do that was causing all the stress, I still couldn't make myself do. And it was just, just wearing away at me. There were like points where my husband would, he wasn't my husband at the time, my fiance would be really worried about me because him and I work together. And he's like, you can't go to work today. You're a mess. You need to just rest. So I'm like, this is bad. There's a lot of people who are seriously worried about me. I should probably get some help now, like really fast. <laughs> and thankfully, I had had, a, I had a friend who was an occupational therapist who also thought she had ADHD. So she had been like looking around for resources and she found this pilot project in North Van of an adult ADHD clinic and it was paid for. It was like already, it was funded by public health and it just had a wait list of like two months. And I'm like, all right, this is my chance. This is, it was the only one in Canada and it just happened to be where I lived. And I'm like, if there was ever a time where I'm actually, where like enough of the steps have been minimized that I can do this, it's right now. So yeah, I got my diagnosis and and the rest was history. No kidding. It was a big process after that. No, but it feels like there's so much serendipity in that whole process for you because like, you know, when you get to that point where you're like, people are worried about me, I need so I need to do something. I need to take action. Uh, I can't stay where I are. I think that's where like 99% of us get misdiagnosed with depression and anxiety. And then totally. we go down that route. And so I, you know, I think I've been thinking so much about my own history with depression and anxiety, my own history with medication and how much of that, you know, they talk about it like it's a comorbidity, but it's more than that. Like it's, it's, it's like the accumulation. Exactly. Like you can't have one without the other. So Mm -hmm. much of it comes back to being undiagnosed, not being diagnosed. And like, you know, I've, I've so often said, like, I feel like the diagnosis is the treatment for a lot of us Yeah. in that, and, and not to undermine medication and all of the other ways in which we really need to structure our lives around this diagnosis and, and, but I feel like so much of the healing just comes from the knowledge of of that diagnosis itself. Uh, totally. Yeah. You're totally right. Actually. I never really thought, it, I think the thing is, is I still owe a lot to that episode of the current where they talked about ADHD. Cause that's what put it on my radar. Like if I had, cause I would have gotten to that point of like falling apart, whether I knew about that or not, but because ADHD was already on my radar I was waiting to get a diagnosis for ADHD. I had been researching ADHD and I knew it fit me. And if I hadn't done that, I would have just gone to a psychologist or psychiatrist and gotten a diagnosis of anxiety or depression. And that would have been the end. And I'd still wonder why the heck everything's so hard. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, like I've got all my answers. I have depression. I have my meds. Why is this still hard? Because I would have had a, just one piece. I think there was probably a subconscious part of you when you heard that that episode that like realized that this is what you needed to do. It's like you saw subconsciously you saw the solution, and that's when it started to everything started to break down because you 
weren't taking yes. the action. You know what I mean? Yeah. Isn't the body funny like that? Like the, Oh my goodness. I, it's oh, so funny. Yeah. It's like, Oh, you're not going to take care of yourself. You're not going to slow down. I'm going to make you, you know, <laughs> I will make you. So we're breaking down now and I will not be repaired until you get the right help. And I'm going to sit here until you figure this out. Oh, that I is, <laughs> that's yeah. totally I mean, so much of, so much of the work I do too is in the, is in the gut and, mm-hmm. you know, following the gut. And I work a lot with like preteen girls, or at least I did before. I haven't done anything since the pandemic, but I was working with preteen girls about like the importance of that, uh, that other brain, you yeah. know, that there's a brain down here and it never lies to you. This brain, it lies a lot. Yes. Uh, you, know, you can't trust it all the time, but this yeah. brain always tells the truth. And so yeah. like, how can you tune into that brain? And so I feel like, you know, a lot of the, that's one of those things on this long checklist of like ways in which I kind of intuitively started coming up with hacks to deal with ADHD before I even knew what to call it or even what it was. Yeah. And now I'm just like, oh my God, that voice is so strong in decision-making. Yeah. And, and I, I give it the, the props it deserves now. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. You're totally right. I think that things probably, yeah, fell apart because my brain because something deep down really did know that this was the answer. And now you need to act on this. Yeah. I totally relate to that idea of feeling like something was wrong throughout my, yeah, I often had said like, I think I had an undiagnosed learning disorder. And so I was often like, I related a lot to some of the uh, dyslexia literature, which is interesting because you have dyslexia, right? I'm not officially diagnosed, but I'm like looking back at my report cards when I was getting diagnosed with ADHD and being a speech therapist and learning about literacy development. I'm like, oh, this is why, like my learning to read didn't look like any, like a typical trajectory of learning to read. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I have all the other things like the left and right. That's very much a dyslexia thing that struggles yeah. with left and right. And any of every other aspect, but not officially, but I'm very convinced I'm dyslexic. Well, even just the rereading of paragraphs over and over again and having, and you know, so many of us struggle with the idea of like, you get through, you get to the end of the page and realize you were thinking about everything else, but what was on the page, but you were still reading it. You yeah. know? And, and that's such a common thing with ADHD. And I think yep. um, I had such a difficult time reading and focusing, especially in university. And, you know, I had that same, I I had that same experience where it was like, the only way I'm going to get through this and graduate is if I sit in the front row center of every single lecture and like, I devote my entire life to studying, you know, and that was the only way I could do it. I, so I meant to go back to that and say, I totally related to that idea of like, how can people socialize and go out and drink and then get up the next morning and go to their classes? Like I've just, (laughs) just as well as me. How dare you? Who do you think you are? (laughs) Yeah. That drove Um, me crazy. (laughs) I know. Right. It's like, I, why am I the only one who's hung over constantly? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's a great way of describing it. When when people talk about like how we have to work 10 times harder than anyone else to do the same thing. That's what I think. That's what I think of, of like, I had to, I had to give something, if I really wanted to achieve, I had to give it absolutely all I had, you know, I really had to pull myself up by the bootstraps. And so those are those moments where you realize, okay, well, I can do it. And that's when you start to get down on yourself when there's these moments of 
you know, yeah. not being able to do things. And then yeah. you feel, you know, you're like, I know that I can be productive. And so I've, yeah. I've said before, like, I feel like my entire life, it was just this trajectory of laziness and failure. And I would have these brief moments where I could pull myself together to get things done. I wrote a book, you know, I've graduated. I, I, when I did go back to university, I ended up on the Dean's list because I had no other life except for this one Same. thing. Mm-hmm. And, and so these moments of like, I can get my act together, but I have no idea like what factors lead me to actually do those things. And so, you know, you generally feel like your default state is laziness Yes, and and why, you know, so many of us have such a hard time with rest, you know, because we, we feel fundamentally lazy. And so I wanted to talk to you about that because I feel like yoga is so, I mean, yoga is one of those things that I discovered in university and it was like euphoric and it's been part of my life for so long. And then I, I got my teaching certification. I started last September. And so halfway through the certification, we ended up having to go remote. And so I finished the last certification remote and it was interesting to me because it just, brought so much home in terms of like my own relationship with rest and how I had such a difficult time being okay with it, you know, Mm -hmm. before my diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And I think now so much of my self-talk has changed in terms of like why I need to rest and be like, well, no, you're, you're crashing because you just spent like three straight days researching monolithic prehistoric structures in Scotland or whatever it was you were hyper-focusing about that day. (laughs) Uh, So like, I, I feel like my relationship with rest has changed drastically um, since my diagnosis. So I wanted, I don't know what my question is. I think I want to talk to you about yoga in general and and what has your relationship been over the years pre and post diagnosis? How did you discover it? How did it become such a big part of your life? So I've been practicing yoga for about 15 years now. I think I started when I was in my second year of university and I was a mess because like the way I adapted in high school to get good enough grades to get to university was to just work my ass off. And then in university that goes up like tenfold. So I I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. I had lost so much weight because I just was not eating. And it wasn't like an eating disorder. It was just like, I don't have time. I have shit to learn. I cannot take a break for food. It was like such a waste of time in my head to eat or sleep. And my dad, (laughs) my dad was like, you should probably try yoga. You need to calm the hell down. And I was like, what yoga? Like in my, cause I was, my family is very, my dad's like this stoic German and we're like very science-based and you know like we're not touchy-feely and to me yoga seemed like a very touchy-feely thing so it was super weird to me that my dad would suggest this super odd but because he suggested it I was like there must be something to it then because if my dad is willing to believe in touchy-feely stuff there must be something to it so I started going and you know honestly (laughs) But it wasn't, it wasn't like a huge breakthrough type. Like it was like in the basement at the University of Guelph in this carpeted weird area. It was a super weird atmosphere. It was <laughs> odd, but it was actually the first time I had carved out an hour of time to myself and kept to it 
time to do something other than study that moved my body and made me breathe. And that made a big difference in itself. And then I moved to Vancouver and Vancouver in Canada is like the yoga capital of the country. And it was just kind of, I kind of started taking yoga in Vancouver, like in jest, you know, like when in Rome, like I might as well, like just fully dive into the West Coast stereotype. So I did. And yoga over there was like, there was a lot more theory to it. There was a lot more philosophy to it. There was a lot more emphasis on the breath and everything else. But I was still coming from a very skeptical perspective. So for the longest time, it really was just exercise. That's all it was to me, was just exercise. But I'm I happened to be good at some of like the challenging poses, arm balances and stuff, which was super fun and nice and confidence building for me, which was important because I had no confidence. I was pretty convinced I was pretty shitty at everything. And it was nice to have something that like I thought I was good at. And then I did my, sorry, this is a big tangent. This is not an easy answer. This is a whole tale. (laughs) This is really interesting to me because I was thinking like, I've often said like, if I wasn't naturally flexible, I never would have stuck with yoga because I tend to have that relationship with things. If like, I'm not immediately good at them, I I drop them. And so I'm, you know, and and so, so many people who are like, I'm not flexible. I I don't like yoga. And you're like, you're actually the person who should be taking yoga. (laughs) So it's interesting. I've never made that connection before of like how important it is to feel good at things yes. when you have ADHD because yes. we so often feel so like bad. we're bad at things. <laughs> yeah. And it was nice to feel, you know, like a natural, like I know because now my understanding of yoga is so much deeper, I realize how inaccurate that statement is to be a natural at yoga because there's so many other facets, but to be good at the physical practice helped me build some confidence. And it, again, helped me carve time into my schedule that was really just for me. And then I did my master's on mindfulness and stuttering. So I had a case study and I did mindfulness practices with for my master's degree. And that was my first introduction to mindfulness in a way that broke it down in, a, in, a, in components I could understand. And that's when I started actually taking a look at the other aspects of yoga and understanding that it isn't just exercise. Actually, that's a very teeny tiny part of yoga. And yoga as a whole is really a whole lifestyle. So I, that gave me more respect for the other like fluffier aspects of yoga that I always like rolled my eyes at before. And then I started learning about ADHD and I learned about the benefits of like bringing your attention back to the present moment and making time for exercise and creating self-awareness so that you can feel your emotions starting to bubble up before you act on them. And realizing like all of the stuff that they were talking about as like holistic, non-medicinal ways to manage your ADHD were also all the pieces of yoga. And then I decided to do my training, which then just confirmed to me all the things I was getting an inkling of all along. Because in yoga, there's like the eight limbs of yoga. Uh, And the first two are just the first two limbs. So there's different pathways to like, to a yogic life, to being like enlightened, as they would say, I guess, uh, which can mean whatever to so many different people, different things to different people. But Um, The first two limbs, the first is yamas, which are restraints and how to behave with others and yourself. And then the yet, the next one are observances is how to have self-discipline. So relevant and resonated so much with ADHD. Like the very first fundamental one is ahimsa, 
which is non-harming. And that's not even just not physically hurting people. It is not mentally hurting them like, and not mentally hurting yourself. Like that's like CBT, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy is about being aware of your thoughts and noticing what's true and what's not and how they're hurting you. Like that's a hinsa, that's mm-hmm. non-harming. And in order to observe, like in order to behave kindly and patiently with people around you is to make sure that you're also coming from a place of kindness. And ADHDers are so good at beating themselves up. And we are so good at punishing ourselves. So good at it. Mm -hmm. Because for the longest time, we think that that's the only way we can get our asses in gear to do freaking anything. And the only way we'll learn any lessons. You know, like I, the only way I'll learn from this is if I hold it over my head forever. So if I ever doubt that I don't need to write this down or I don't need to whatever. I have this proof to show me what a mess up I am. You know, like it's so mean, but we do it. And in yoga, like I said, like the very first thing they teach is ahimsa, non-harming. That's the fun. Everything else is based on top of that. And then the next is satya, which is truthfulness, which is being not just not lying, but knowing who you freaking are. And showing up as the same person, no matter the context. And ADHDers, we are so good at masking because we think we have to hide. So we think that we have so much that is worth being ashamed of. And then when we hide that, we're not being truthful. That's not Satya. So when I did my training, I was just like mind blown after mind blowing its situation. Cause I'm like, this is so relevant to ADHD in so many ridiculous ways we need to know this. Yeah. And that was only like, I did my training in from 2018, very recent 2018 to 2019. So I was like, I had my diagnosis by then. I had more information about ADHD. I had more information about strategies and then to see how how yoga fit into all of that just blew my mind day after day, after day, after day. Hey friend, if there's one thing I've learned about ADHD over the last few years is that we can thrive with the right combination of accountability, planning, coaching, and peer support. Knowing all this, I set out to create the ultimate all-in-one coaching and accountability community for adults with ADHD or learning disabilities. I knew I couldn't do it alone, so I joined forces with one of my favorite ADHD coaches, Alex Gilbert of Capable Consulting, and together we launched the ADHD Lounge. The lounge was created as a safe place for neurodivergent adults away from other social media, where we offer live group calls, co-working and body doubling every weekday for accountability, focus, and skill development. We have weekly and monthly goal planning sessions to keep yourself on track. We also have one-on-one office hours with myself and Alex, and of course, friendship and lots of peer support. We have three different membership levels to meet you where you're at. So if you're looking for an affordable way to stay connected, productive, and accountable, while also having regular access to ADHD coaching and expertise, then make sure to come join me in the ADHDlounge.com. Again, that's the ADHDlounge.com. And as a listener of the Women in ADHD podcast, you can get 30% off your first month with the code PODCAST30. So head to the ADHDlounge.com and use the code PODCAST30 to get 30% off your first month. 
During the early days of my diagnosis, as I was deep into hyperfocus ADHD research mode, I kept searching for some kind of all-in-one, everything you ever needed to know about ADHD and women handbook that I could reference and keep at my fingertips, but I never really found anything that suited me. That's why I've taken everything I've learned about ADHD in women and adults who are socialized as girls, and I've gathered it into a concise, easy-to-access, self-guided, and self-paced course so you can feel like you've got everything you need at your fingertips. It's called, Hey, it's ADHD, and it has everything you need to start loving your brain and living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. I built this course to be helpful wherever you are on your ADHD journey. I am so excited to finally be able to offer this course, and I truly hope this will help you develop a deeper understanding of your ADHD brain and how to embrace it as you build yourself a toolkit for your own life. So head over to womenandadhd.com and click on the Hey, It's ADHD course tab for more information and to get started. The Niyama that what that I related to the most was Santosha because yeah. uh, and that was another that like I had so many mind blowing moments with that one just in terms of con- you know contentment being at peace with what is and you know that just like total acceptance which I think yeah. was so important to me and my you know I I incorporate yoga a lot with uh, with my clients in terms of just body acceptance and mm-hmm. kind of bringing yourself back to the body and, and just reminding yourself that there's something below your neck, you know? Yeah. And so I guess yeah. even when I was talking about the gut as that other brain, now it, I'm, it never occurred to me before that like why that is so important to me is because maybe my brain and how it works has always kind of felt betrayed, you know, I felt betrayed by it. And so this is like this one thing, everything below the neck is something that is trusting, you know, that you can trust or is trustworthy. And it's just all it's doing is trying to heal you. And, you know, like all, you know, it's one job is to like, make you feel better and to help you. And no matter how much shit you pour on yourself or whatever toxins you're putting in your body or whatever you're doing, you know, all of these ways in which you heap hate upon your body. It's like, all it does is like, I'm just going to keep chugging. I'm just going to keep healing. (laughs) I'm going to keep going. (laughs) Yeah. And I never yeah. thought about how important that was as a concept to me living with a brain that really just sort of feels defective. And yeah. uh, so that was like Santosha was one of those niyamas that I was just like felt deeply. Yes, I know. I'm going through them right now in my classes. So like I have a book. So I'm like every week, re- I've read this book like two or three times already. So I'm going through it like a fourth time. And every time I'm just like, yes, like <laughs> sense the world needs to know this but yeah it's and it's that's funny because like it's thousand like that wisdom is like thousands of years old but the themes echoed in those teachings are like in every freaking self-help book I've ever read and they're talking about them like they're new ideas and Mm -hmm. they're not we just you know our attention with the other shinier things I guess at that point we kind of forgot all these important lessons well that were no I think we just need to be ago. reminded over and over and over and over again and that's something else that I sort of feel like I'm okay with now now that I understand yeah yeah that's <laughs> know, true the like yeah. uh, working memory and how that is how that operates and how I'm like okay no wonder I need to <laughs> you know have certain like you know it's kind of nice because you can you can reread things if you ever actually get to, I know that's really hard for us to go back and reread anything because it's not new, but like the, the way in which things can occur to you for the first time in in such a novel way, when you're sort of like, I guess everybody else knows this, but like I suddenly right now today, it's like, I get it. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, totally. Or even like because of our memory, like even stuff that we did get before we do have, like you said, like we just have to relearn it. I joke with my husband. I'm like, life is so exciting. I'm discovering the same things for the first time all the time. (laughs) It's so great. It's like, do you remember Short Term Memory Man from SNL? Do you no, remember Tom I don't. Hanks? Tom Hanks used to have this character that was called Mr. Short Term Memory, where he just immediately forgot everything. And it was oh, yeah? the best skits because he'd be like, Whose wallet is this? And the, he, his friend is like, It's yours. And he's like, It is now. <laughs> uh, anything that Tom Hanks touches. I, mean, I know, right? It's so. true. Yeah. <laughs> so now you market your, you do online classes and you sort of mm. market them as ADHD friendly classes, which I love. And what I think about, you know, when I think about like what I like in a, in a yoga class, when it comes to postures, like I like to be told ahead of time what's coming up. Yeah. And so like when I'm teaching, like I always, you know, I have a hard time when you're just sort of like, some teachers will kind of tell you like, as you're moving into this pose, what you're doing. And I get very confused and frustrated and like, I lose my balance. And so I like to be told like, okay, coming up, we're going to be doing X, Y, Z. Yeah. And, and I, so I notice like I do that when I'm teaching and I get really frustrated. <laughs> I'm not really frustrated. I mean, I'm still in the flow, but like what I, I like to have sequences left and right fairly quickly, you know, like, yes. I don't like when there's too much happening on the left side and then we do something else and then we don't go to the right side. You know, like I, I feel like I'm very particular about flow. And uh, and so I'm like now realizing that like, oh, I, I see now why I have those peculiarities or particularities when it comes to like my flow. And so I'm what is what is ADHD friendly yoga to you? Well, to me, like it's being more authentic to the original teaching of yoga, like trying to weave in more of that philosophy as it relates to people with ADHD. So I try to relate the yamas and niyamas. Um, And I also try to put a lot of emphasis on creating body awareness, you know, because like we, like we're sometimes like so in our head, like you said, like we forget there's anything from the neck down and to draw people's attention back to the present moment feeling things they that they're supposed to feel in their body and also creating a space where like doing it differently is okay like here are some options because like as ADHDers we have to do so many things differently Mm. and to not have shame around that so like giving them options for poses and using props and using blocks and like not making that mean anything this is just what your body needs and that's it there's nothing wrong with that what I was taught in my yoga teacher training is to always have like a teaching, like to have a theme that's called, um, we called it a centering. And so I usually teach some kind of like life lesson I've learned in my journey of ADHD and relate it to a philosophical teaching of yoga and then tell them how they're going to feel that in their body. Like, you know, today is about like, I'll tell them about a lesson I learned about being courageous and what courage feels like in my body, and then how we're going to create courage in our body by building up to this pose, or by creating, you know, giving poses that pull into midline that make you feel stable and strong, you know, like, I try to physicalize the concepts so they can feel them and bring them out of their head and into their body, or vice versa. So... That's how I try to make the like ADHD classes and I relate them to the struggles that we very commonly go through. Yeah, I like that. I I think even with, I talk a lot about breath too um, and, and especially the extended exhale. I think the extended exhale is like, 
so central to my life. It's helped me so much with yeah. with my anxiety and sort of, again, like, I just think I just really like geek out about the science about the extended exhale and the vagus nerve and yeah. like how you can kind of really like actively trick your body into thinking it's safe when it's decided something in your, out. your yeah. wiring <laughs> has decided that you're having an anxiety attack that you could actually be like, no, I'm at the wheel and mm-hmm. this is how I'm going to fix it really quickly. And so I love that. And the other thing I talk a lot about is that is meditation and being in the present tense Mm -hmm. and how I think some people with ADHD tend to exist in the past or the present or the past and the future at all times, either we're regretful and we're ruminating and we um, are are beating ourselves up over something that has happened, or we're having anxiety about the future. And like none of those negative emotions exist in the present tense. Yeah. And it's such a like lovely, simple concept to me. And, And I, so I feel like I go back to that a lot. In yeah, just building the present tense muscle. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Where I'm like, just like you would build any muscle. Like this is even if you only spend a few moments here each day, it's like each time you go back to the present tense, you're building that muscle that you can you can find that piece yeah. so much faster the next time. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, you you said something that like triggered something. Something I wanted to say. <laughs> now I don't remember what it was. Damn it. Wait, was it about the, it was it about breath or was it about, I think it was, oh, I, I think, I think it was just, uh, I was you said that, a lot. oh no, we both are. It's <laughs> fine. It's kind of what we do. Uh, but it, it was, I think when you said like 80 issues, we spend a lot of time in the future or the past. And I feel like we also spend a lot of time in other people's business, you know, like thinking about like what other people, how other people are interpreting the things that we do and how they misinterpreted this and blah, blah, blah. you know, like we're in other people's heads. Not even just ours. We're trying to jump into other people's and that causes so much distress too. I think that goes back to just generally feeling so misunderstood through life mm-hmm. and, and back to what we were saying earlier about like feeling like you somehow need to manage how people are relating to you or reacting to you because it just always feels like something is going wrong. <laughs> totally. Or you have to explain because like I was late for things all the time, still am. I just have fewer places to be because of COVID now. So I'm never late because I'm always exactly where I need to be. But before, before all of this, like I was late all the time and I would see so many things on, like people would post things on Facebook. I don't even like memes, I guess, like somebody who's late doesn't respect your time. They don't respect you as a person, like shit like that all the time. And because pre-diagnosis, I had no other explanation as to why I was late all the time. I started internalizing that. I started thinking like, maybe I just don't care about anybody. Like, and I've heard, you know, like people would say that to me, you don't care about anybody but you. And I would feel like deep down, that's not true because I hated being late and I was embarrassed by being late and I was ashamed when I was late. But I mean, if I really cared, wouldn't I be there on time? It's not that hard. Mm. (laughs) So I heard. So I internalized that a lot. And before my diagnosis, I had no explanation for it at all. I do the same. I, I often felt that way when it came to conversations, because I also struggle with feeling like a terrible friend with anyone who is not immediately in front of me mm-hmm. uh, or like in my life on a regular basis. And yes. so, um, and I really, really value one-on-one conversation, but I also knew that like, I tend to talk about myself as a way yes. to relate to whatever is happening. 
And I think a lot of us have struggle with feeling like, why do I always talk about myself? Why am I always bringing this back to myself? Because you do, you see people on these, you do see those comments where it's like, oh, this person talks about themselves all the time and they're so self-centered. And so, yeah, I did feel like, am I, am I self-centered? Am I, do I just find myself so interesting that I have to interrupt people all the time? And I'm like, no, it's like, it's the jur, it's the conversation and the exploration that is so amazing. And um, yeah, I get excited about everything. And, and, yeah. um, and I'm trying to show you that I totally right. understand where you're coming from. I'm trying yeah. to empathize. Oh yeah, I got that too. But I remember my very first boyfriend, he had a close friend who made a comment to him about me who said, this was like my early twenties. And his, his friend was like, Tasha really talks about herself a lot. And he told me that, and it killed me. Like it just, I spend so much time caring about other people. And to hear someone say that, oh, like it killed me. And now, and it's still gotten to the point, like now, ever since then, whenever I'm at a party and whenever, especially if I'm at a party where I'm meeting a lot of people for the first time, I become hyper aware of how much turn taking I am taking up to the point sometimes where it interrupts me being able to follow what they're saying, (laughs) because I'm like, make sure you take a turn, make sure, make sure that you give them a turn, make sure that you don't inter- interrupt, you know, and I'm just trying to be a decent person mm-hmm. who doesn't just talk about herself all the time. And, and now it, it gets to a point where I have like this coping strategy, I guess, of like, when I feel my turn has been too long, I'll say, anyway, we were talking about you saying this. <laughs> and I, I always do that now. And I've traced it back to that guy who told his, my boyfriend that I talk about myself a lot. It left wow. a mark. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. I know I have the same issue with these, with these interviews because I feel, you know, the whole reason I started this podcast was an excuse to have intentional conversations with people I find interesting. Like it's totally yeah. selfish. Yeah, <laughs> That part I will admit is selfish. Uh, and then I just put it out there and I hope it, I hope people listen. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I am very conscious of this is their interview. This is their moment. I am asking questions. I am the journalist. Why am I still talking about my university experience? Yeah, I do the same. I do the same. I think so many ADHDers do because I think at some point we've all been kind of accused of like being self-centered in one way or another, whether it's not, whether it's about our punctuality or, you know, like the environment that we share with other people that we're not keeping tidy or the amount of conversation we dominate. I think we've been accused of that Definitely. And there's a sense, and there's a sense that there is appropriate behavior mm-hmm. and we don't naturally come by that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we have to like put all of our energy and we have to really be like, okay, this is yeah. a, this is a situation where I need to act appropriately. It's not a safe place like home. So I have to put all of my mental energy into like being socially appropriate. And I think that's why this, you know, the, the conversation of masking is so interesting too, yeah. because it's so wide ranging in terms of how people mask. And, and I know it's also sensitive in terms of some of the serious masking that happens in like the autistic community. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, there's this whole sense of like ADHDers are co-opting terminology. And I don't know how I feel about that, but 
I, I, don't, I don't know have an opinion about on that it. at all. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know much about that. I'll have to look more into that. But I think, well, I had I had made a post about masking, and I ended up taking it down because I was like, I don't really. I'm just talking out of my ass. I don't know what I <laughs> like. I was like, I felt like masking was something that I related to, and I sort of saw these moments in myself. But I also realized that this is like a big research topic that I have no idea what I'm talking about. And, you know, I also have ADHD. So I tend to think I'm an expert in things after researching for an hour. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. And, um, <laughs> so, but it is, you know, thinking about like, I think at the crux of it is really that idea of like, what is that there's a sense of what is appropriate and a sense that like, we don't necessarily naturally do that. And, mm-hmm. and so we really have to be mindful and like, concentrate. Yeah. (laughs) And that takes so much energy, like so much cognitive load. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I I have a tendency to like burst into laughter at incredibly inappropriate times like funerals. Um, or, you know, if my kids like, you know, if my kid injures himself or herself, like in the playground, my nervous reaction is to laugh. And I think, you know, and for a long time, I just thought I was a psychopath. (laughs) I didn't realize (laughs) that there was any sort of neurological reason for this. Yeah. It's funny, like how, like before we had the explanation of ADHD, how we made sense of the world we were in or how we made sense of ourselves in the world that we're in, right? Just like, yeah, like, oh, I must be a psychopath. Oh, I must not care about anybody. Oh, I must just, what was my, I must be just a stupid person who works hard. And then you're like, why do I have such self-esteem issues? I know. Oh my God. Like, why, why do I not respect myself at all? Why don't I let myself go to bed at a decent time? You know? Yeah, totally. Why, why is this an issue? Mm. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So, so you do have yoga classes and you can, how can somebody sign up for your classes? How can somebody find more about you or reach out to you in the world? Yeah. uh, I have a website. ADHDyoga.ca or ADHDyoga.com. They're lead you to the same place. Um, I have an online membership. I have a huge library of classes and I also am building a tiny little uh, library of little mini classes for specific like ADHD issues like digestion and sleep and things like that. And then I teach live classes as well. Oh, and I also teach private classes if you want to chat with me or if you want to have like a more specific customized class. So my website is adhdyoga.ca. And if you want to just find me as a person, you can find me on Instagram at adhd.yoga. You'll find me there doing weird stuff, I guess. (laughs) Weird stuff with stickies. Yep. With with my post-it notes, (laughs) classically. Yep. Yeah. That came out of not knowing how to use Canva. That was a day where I tried to learn Canva, had a meltdown and thought never again. (laughs) going back to paper. Oh, I love that because I feel like, I feel like people with ADHD have a deep connection to post-it notes. Totally. That's totally (laughs) it. It's like, there's, you know, there's multi layers to using the post-it note and you're, you should own that. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I totally did. I'm like, oh, because you know what? I went to, I went to counseling, uh, as so many of us do. And this is with my diagnosis, but I wasn't going for, I like the person I was with didn't have a, an ADHD background. She didn't understand it really. And I explained to her at her first appointment that I have ADHD and explained to her what that meant to me. And she's like, well, have you tried using post-it notes? I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, of course I have. And of course my entire apartment is plastered in them. Yes. I've used post-it notes, but that's like, that's kind of the joke. Just like 
just like ADHD and like our distractibility with like getting distracted by the squirrel, like the squirrel joke is like this kind of joke, this ongoing joke the ADHD community has. I feel like post-it notes are the same deal. I think you're totally right. But that's why I kept them. That's why they're there. So Right. It's mm-hmm. for those of us who were who decided we wanted to stop writing on our hands. Yes. Oh my God. That's how <laughs> I survived university. I know, right? <laughs> I ran out of space. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone knew my business and what I should be doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you know you're an adult when you've transferred from writing on your hand to using post-it notes. <laughs> yeah, portable paper. Yes, that will stick to things. Yeah, totally. That's the transition. <laughs> But that reminds me, the one thing I do have, which is like a fairly new question that I want to incorporate into these episodes is, is yeah. the number four. If you w- could rename ADHD to something else, what would you call it? Did you have something prepared? I had a couple. I was like really thinking about it because I was like, do I just want to like, I was really thinking about it. So one is creativity surplus disorder. <laughs> So, just an abundance of yeah. tangents and creativity in every direction. I felt like that really captured it. Creativity surplus disorder. The other one, just to be more accurate in terms of like the, to counter like the taboos that so many women especially have to like, have to address or encounter when trying to get a diagnosis. Like we're not diagnosed often because we're not hyperactive. That's everybody's picture in their head is that hyperactive little boy who's jumping around. And most of us don't have that. And there's the misconception that it's just really about attention. We don't have a deficit. We have a, we have inconsistency. Like Mm -hmm. we have plenty. It's just in many directions and it shows up at unpredictable times. (laughs) Um, So, and then our emotion, like there's no, like emotional regulation isn't in the definition at all. And it's such an important piece. So what I came up with was emotion and executive functioning disorder. It is nothing fancy, but it'd be EEFD. Okay. And I thought that captured it. That was more like clinically accurate, but it's not very fun. But I felt like that would get rid of some of the tab- the taboos that I, or not the taboos, the misunderstandings that come with ADD. But mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Or ADHD. Well, ADD is just so, so ungoogleable. I don't know why anybody know. came up with that acronym to begin with. I, that's I the only reason I'm, I'm like very pro ADHD is just because it's easier to Google. It's easier to Google. Yeah, too. But the thing I don't like about the ADHD is that it makes like the hyperactivity part, like it makes it sound like that's a necessary piece. Mm-hmm. And it's not. That's- well, I, I think it's not until you make the connection of where your hyperactivity is, you know, in your like brain when, or your body. Exactly. And so once mm-hmm. I started thinking about hyperactivity in terms of like errant thoughts and rumination and conversation inattentiveness, you know, like what, once I started realizing that that was just like one of the many spokes in the wheel of, of yeah. hyperactivity, I was like, oh yeah, of course I have all of those things. I just yeah. don't have the like cocaine addict from a 1980s yeah. movie feeling about me. Yeah, like bouncing my leg up and down and like playing with pens like crazy. Yeah. Um, I know, but yeah, it's to- that's true. Like the hyperactivity, it's like it's brain or body. And I definitely now, because I've always been a chatty kid, so many conversations, like if I talk to somebody on the phone, some to somebody new, like a new friend, uh, usually our first conversation on the phone ends with them being like, wow, I've never talked to anybody on the phone for this long before. <laughs> You're right. That is totally a piece, but it's not an easily understood piece to anyone who went, who, who doesn't look any deeper than the name. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It took me years of being suggested by my therapist that I had ADHD 
where I was like, yeah, I, I don't think that's it because I'm yeah. not hyperactive. And, and you hear that over and over and over again. Yeah, totally. Any other parents out there who have struggled to instill good financial habits into their kids? I know I have. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode, Go Henry by Acorns, the smart debit card and app for kids 6 through 18. With Go Henry, kids can learn about money, set spending and saving goals, and even track chores and earn allowance money right within the app. They learn the value of money by using their Go Henry debit cards, while we as parents can set spend limits and help guide their journey while staying informed every step of the way. It gives me so much peace of mind to know that I'm using a smart tool to proactively teach my kids about money and prepare them for future success. Set your kids up for success and get started today at GoHenry.com slash WomenADHD. Again, that's GoHenry.com slash WomenADHD. TNCs apply. Renews from $4.99 per month unless canceled. What name would you, alternative name, have you come up with? Oh, I haven't answered that question. I don't know. Oh, come uh, on now. <laughs> what are you doing? I just started asking the question. I'm, I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm doing research. <laughs> <laughs> I no. feel like even the term disorder, I struggle with disorder. And I, talk I know about I was with, struggling with that too. Yeah. I struggle with this. I mean, I talk about this with my therapist because she's like, you have to honor the fact that this is a struggle and that you've had to work hard. And she talks about it as the brick, uh, you know, on my ankle and mm-hmm. that, you know, you have to like honor that you can't just sort of always talk about this, like super, it's a superpower because then you start getting into the sort of toxic positivity element yes, of, yeah. of like, there's nothing bad about this. This is wonderful. And sometimes that can be off-putting yeah. and, 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 you know, and then you can start, we, we have so much self-doubt anyway, when it comes to whether we even have it, you know, yes, whether totally. we even need medication, you know, it's like being at an eye doctor where they're like, is this one clear or is this one clear? And you're like, I don't no, remember. Yeah. Can we go back to the first one? Am I going to get the wrong glasses? You know, like, <laughs> There's so much self-doubt. So I think I I don't think of it as a disorder, but I'm also realize I'm in like the honeymoon phase of feeling mm-hmm. like, oh my God, everything makes sense now. And I'm so happy. Like I haven't really gone back to a sense of like, okay, how can I really deal with some of the things I haven't been able to manage mm-hmm. um, that led me to get the diagnosis in the first place? You know, that yeah. there's, there's a lot there. I think there's another name. I think there's another word that we need to come up with that encompasses all of that. You know? I know, me and too. I so. know. I really thought about it for a long time and I'm like, I don't know. Like, and I was trying to think like, what is it about ADHD that I don't like? And that's why I included like an emotional regularity and uh, dysregulation. There we go. And uh, executive function because those like all like, I mean, attention is just one piece of executive function. Yeah. And so like, why is all the attention on attention? Huh? Like why? Because there's so much more to it than that. I mean, it's not fancy. It's a pretty boring sounding thing, but I think it gets the job done. Emotion executive function disorder. Disorder again, I'm like, like I'm not sure how I feel about that word, but I mean, there were definitely stages in pre-diagnosis where I was in bad shape and it felt like a disorder for sure. And it's taken a toll. That's for sure too. Yeah. Stuff that you have years, we have years to sort through and make sense of after. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's why there's been such a proliferation of diagnoses this during the lockdown. Totally. So many of us, our life got tossed up in the air and all the pieces fell and all of the, all of the ways in which we had been managing it unbeknownst to ourselves um, was out the window. And, and suddenly this sort of lighthearted, 
lighthearted, relatable memes were like, oh my God, I really need some help. <laughs> yes. I saw another meme. Oh, I saw it somewhere on somewhere on Instagram that said, either ADHDers need to be less relatable or I need to make an appointment with my doctor. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sure that's happened to a lot of, it, it has, 100% has happened to a lot of people during COVID. They would like, saw, noticed the struggle they couldn't avoid anymore. They had to face them. Yeah, I know. Well, and I think also just in talking to so many other women about this topic since being diagnosed, I think that that really kind of the delineation between whether you have it and whether you don't have it, kind of like you were saying with the with the current episode, you know, like mm-hmm. I would have felt so validated if somebody else had said, I saw you in that, you know, because yes. we struggle so much with whether we actually have this because so many people relate to so many things about it, you know, and then there's always the response of like, well, you you know you have ADHD if these issues really, really affect you negatively. And then I'm like, do they affect me negatively? I don't know. I've been okay. And so, uh, you know, does that mean I don't have it if I'm actually managing, you know, and, and, and do I not have it if I don't feel like I need medication? You know, all these questions we ask ourselves all the time. Totally. And, and so if I've decided that like, if you start researching ADHD, if you read a book like Driven to Distraction, or you start listening to these podcasts and you feel for the first time in your life, like deeply seen and validated in a way that feels like revolutionary, then I'm like, yes. that's usually a tip off. That, yeah. Yeah. That you have it. If you're just sort of like, ha ha, I forget my keys moving on. Yeah. Then, you know, then it's relatable. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again so much for, for meeting with me and chatting with me. And yeah, it was delightful. Great. I had uh, loved getting to know more about you and... Thanks. I had so much fun. Well, thank you for listening to that episode with Tasha. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, here is my update with Tasha Post to see how she's doing now. One of the reasons I think your episode has stayed with me so much was it was really fun. And I, you know, I love talking about yoga with you because I also had the yoga background and I just feel like yoga is so fantastic for ADHD brains for so many days. I knew we were going to talk about that, but that's actually what stayed with me so much from that conversation was all of the conversations that we had about school and learning. And I I think it was the first time I had really explored that idea of like only being able to do one thing and not being able to jump back and forth and how that affects us. And so like now that I'm back in school, it's like, I know that, right? So I'm like, I know that I can only do school on like school days. Like I've been really intentional about dividing my time because I know that now. And I really feel like that was our conversation that like was that light bulb moment for me where I'm like, yeah, it's so true. We were talking about like, you can have friends or you can study. Like you can't. Yeah. Oh my God. That's totally how it felt. Holy crap. Yeah. I don't have like any friends left over. (laughs) I left my dorm. It was so funny actually. So when I did my undergrad at the University of Guelph and some, one of my followers told me that her nephew was going to that school. And she's like, is there anything you can tell me about the town? I was like, nope. I never (laughs) left my dorm. I know nothing about the city. Campus is great. (laughs) That's it. That's so funny. But we, I, but I think we also talked about it in relation to work too, and and then you think about like even parenting, and now that you're a mom, which I want to get into, like you know there is that feeling of really needing to reduce distractions in all parts of life, and how like important it is to really simplify yeah. what your tasks at hand. 
So let's recap since okay. our since the interview, you have you've moved, oh, you bought a house, yeah. you had a baby. Yeah. Who is how old now? He's like a toddler now, right? I mean, yeah, he's uh he'll be two in November. So oh he's like goodness. 21 months, if that means anything to anyone. He's oh he's so cute though. Yeah, but he'll be two in November. Oh my gosh, he's so cute. Oh, yeah, this is the age where you really just have to like follow them. Speaking of focusing on one thing at a time, right? You really just have <laughs> yeah. to follow them around or they will kill themselves. Like, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Um, and you've pivoted in your career recently, which you yep. just, uh, you are now an ADHD coach officially yeah, certified. Like, Congratulations. I just saw the you. email today. Yeah. <laughs> it's very fresh. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how did that come about? Well, that has been actually the dream the whole time. Pretty much as soon as I got diagnosed, because I was a, a clinician before, I was a speech therapist before, I knew I wanted to be in the field of helping people. But being in public health and in the inefficiency of the system and just like feeling like I don't have a lot of autonomy, uh, having to do so much paperwork, all of that stuff, like it just wasn't a good fit for my ADHD brain, but I still wanted the element of helping others. And I also wanted the added element of actually being able to like totally empathize with people because I was a speech therapist working with nonverbal people who needed alternative communication systems. So sometimes there were like recommendations of mine that I like all the times were recommendations of mine that I only knew worked in theory, but in practice just didn't work in their life, but I just couldn't wrap my head around it because I couldn't really relate. So after I got diagnosed with ADHD and everything, like my whole career and all the struggles I had started making sense, I decided that I, a good fit for me would be an ADHD coach because all the things that I struggled with would not go away, but I mean, I would have more control over those things and I could empathize with the people more on like a life level, not just like a theoretical level. And that was really exciting for me. So I got diagnosed in 2017. So it's been the dream since 2017. And I knew I wanted to add elements of yoga into my coaching. So that's why I did my yoga training. I did that first because I just didn't really even know where to look to get ADHD coach training. And I also wanted to receive coaching first. I also wanted to know what it was like to be like on the vulnerable side of coaching so that I could really understand when I was coaching others, like what they're experiencing, like why they might be shutting down right now, because like I've been there, you know, mm -hmm. and I still get coaching. I think that's really important. It wasn't as sudden as it seems. It's been the plan since 2017. It just came to fruition in 2023, <laughs> which is insane for an ADHDer that I stuck with it that long. So <laughs> here we are. <laughs> well, I always love looking back at all the different decisions that led me to where I am today, right? Like, and I go on these larks where I'm like, oh, yeah, I got my yoga teacher tra training certificate. Have I ever taught a class? No. But it was like, it shapes who I am and how I think and how I approach things. And totally. um, all these different random businesses that I had had over the years all come to this, like, you know, one moment of, of who we are, the patchwork yeah. quilt. Totally. Yeah, totally. I think we talked about it a little bit, but like when I transitioned from being a speech therapist to being a yoga teacher, that was really hard because there was all kinds of stories in my head about like wasting my education and now I'm just a yoga teacher. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it took, 
and, you know, and it didn't help like other people's reactions to the change either. Like that wasn't super helpful. Some people just told me straight to my face. It was a waste of my education. <laughs> so it was hard to deal with. But like you said, like I really had to work on reframing it, but I learned so much about myself getting my master's and being a clinician for seven years that I wouldn't have learned if I hadn't done it. Like I really had to do it to realize it wasn't a good fit, but also it helped me see like what kinds of skills I was really good at, like what I got right with that job and what I didn't like the bureaucracy, the inefficiency, like that was just not a good fit for me. Mm -hmm. I'm good being my own boss. I'm good making my own hours. I'm good. um, I'm really good helping people. You know, if I do say so myself, but I'm really good at it. (laughs) So I'm glad I got that right. But I had to go on those detours to really solidify those things. So it wasn't a waste at all. Yeah. Yeah. So who would you say is your ideal client? I feel like I've got, I feel like I'm job interview for you right now, but I'm like, (laughs) I get asked that all the time. So I'm going to throw that to you as a, as a new coach. Who's your ideal client? My ideal client. I love working with like the perfectionistic overachievers who've just like burned themselves out and and really also feel like they're responsible for other people's emotions because it's so liberating to realize you don't need to do things perfectly and like to start to build that evidence that you don't need to do it perfectly is so much fucking fun. Oh, sorry, am I allowed to say that? Sorry. It's so much fun. And to, you know, to just see the relief in people's like just posture and mannerisms when they can just like take their time to do something and not have to pull an all-nighter to get it all done and do it perfectly overnight, you know, because we as ADHDers just like we need to do it perfect and we need to do it now. And when we can learn how to like break things down and to be kind to ourselves and to be compassionate when we make the inevitable mistakes, like it makes life so much nicer and it's so nice to see in people. So I think that's my ideal client is like that the overachieving perfectionist overthinker they're fun <laughs> <laughs> fun at parties um <laughs> yeah. i know right i know i always joke that i'm like when I, I feel like clients come to me and they're like help me do all the things and then i'm like how about we not do all the things <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's give that a try <laughs> yeah oh i'm so excited for you i just think you will be so i don't know if you have any clients already but i just think you're so fantastic i'm such a huge fan i can't wait for what this new future holds for you and your uh how's being a mom oh my gosh it's such a whirlwind it's so fun and so hard (laughs) but talk about like not being a perfectionist anymore like i have really 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 intentionally simplified my life after being a mom. Like I have the lowest of low expectations and I don't mind at all because like what I've shifted, like the leading up to being a mom, I really thought I had to like get my shit together in order to be a good parent, like a clean house, laundry, like cook meals every day. And now I'm like, that's stuff. Bullshit. Like (laughs) that's not important. I want to connect with my kid. I want to deal with his emotions without losing my mind. I want to give him good memories. I want to make him feel safe. And if that means that we eat crackers and cheese and oatmeal for dinner in order to do that, then then that's fine. Right. I feel yeah. so true. Kids don't care. They just want to be next to you. That's like the biggest life lesson, right? They don't yeah. care about that stuff. They just love you so much. And I'm like, the one thing I always tell my kids is like, 
I've never done this before either. Like I'm like with my with with my 16 year old, I'm always like, I've never parented a 16 year old. I don't know what I'm doing either, right? So we're doing this together. And I think it it makes us feel like we're a team more than anything else. That and my favorite phrase is, let's Google that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like just, I never pretend I have any idea what I'm doing. Um, That's probably really good. (laughs) I think that's really, really good. That you model that for them as well, too. That's so great. Well, and it's true. Like, I think that, you know, it's one of the things that I always find appealing about you and your your stories and your just you have such a sense of humor about imperfection, right? And I think that's so wonderful. Like, and I think it is a great, it is a great way to model for other people, right? Especially our kids, which is like, we're a mess, right? And life is wonderful, but it doesn't take away from, it doesn't minimize what is great about us, right? Like, we're both, we're all those things. We're whole human beings. Yeah. Oh, thanks for saying that because perfectionism was like such a barrier before. So that's nice to hear. Thank you. Aw. Well, I'm really <laughs> excited. So are you keeping ADHD yoga as your Instagram handle? What are you going to do? Do you know yet? I'm going to change it eventually. I don't know. Like for now, I'm ch- I'm keeping it. Um, So my coaching business is called Truly ADHD. So it's trulyadhd.ca and .com. Oh, cool. I think I got both. Yeah. The website is a total mess right now. <laughs> I mean, it's a work in progress. I'll get it. Like I'll add to it. A bit of time. I have the handle up there or the domain and that's it. But uh, yeah, my coaching business is truly ADHD on Instagram. That's taken. So I have to find some kind of like derivative of that. But yeah, yeah. I but know, I'll right? just, yeah, I'll change it. But yeah, right now I'm ADHD.yoga on Instagram for, for now. <laughs> um, I know, right? Uh, that's the other thing. How many times have I... My business has pivoted a few times with the same ADHD or with the same Instagram account. I'm like, if you want, you can scroll way, way down (laughs) to the beginning of my Instagram account and just like count all the different iterations of my account. (laughs) Isn't that fun though? I feel like that's such a record, like an excavation of the journey. It's so fun. It's it's like our own archaeological dig. (laughs) So how did you choose the name Truly ADHD? It's funny, like when I did my yoga teacher training, we did a lot of journaling and words that kept coming up were like authenticity, humor and empowerment. And so I really wanted something that like captured authenticity because I really just I feel like that's such a big part of like ADHD coaching is like just learning how to be your true authentic self, like not trying to be like fake being neurotypical, not trying to hide your ADHD, not trying to cure yourself, you know, that kind of thing, just like really embracing who you truly are. Because I feel like that's that's really the healthiest way to be. So that's how I came up with truly ADHD. I mean, I had a million iterations of all kinds of keywords, but that one felt good. That one felt no, good. it's brilliant. I like it because it also has the like double entendre of just sort of being like, this is truly ADHD. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> I am having a truly ADHD moment. Like showing up 30 minutes early to this interview. <laughs> is that what you mean? <laughs> Uh, well, I'm just excited to get a chance to check in with you and, and also just, you know, thank you for the interview we did have so many years ago and how much it stayed with me. And I got so much wonderful feedback the first time around. So I'm glad oh, to get a you. chance to hopefully get some more people to listen and, and get to, the you know, experience the wonderful, truly ADHD Tasha. Post, so. <laughs> thank you. I'm so honored to be in like 
the top 10. I'm like so touched. <laughs> Thank you. Oh. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. Well, it's my pleasure. Thanks. There you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. If you'd like to find out more about me and my coaching programs, head over to womenandadhd.com. If you're a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD and you'd like to apply to be a guest on this podcast, visit womenandadhd.com slash podcast guest. And you can find that link in the episode show notes. Also, you know, we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I totally get it, please just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may be struggling and they don't even know why. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered she's not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD. And she's now on the path to understanding her neurodivergent mind and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then.